Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. Hello, Drita. Welcome to Ways Women Lead. Hi, Anya. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining. I'm really excited to, to be able to share your story. To build a little bit of context, let me introduce you. Currently, you are a Senior Vice President and General Manager of the Transportation Business Unit at National Instruments. And for those who don't know, this is a multinational company which produces automated test equipment and virtual instrumentation software for applications such as data acquisition, instrument control and machine vision. And over the past years, you have had a diverse, exciting career, uh, in the, mainly in the automotive and the transportation sectors, progressing through roles of increased responsibility from engineering through program management and sales and business development, and finally uh, reaching global business leadership positions. And besides being an effective business leader yourself, you are passionate about developing others as leaders, as well as developing teams. And I'm excited to explore this topic as along with your personal journey. And so to kick off, it would be interesting to find out, looking back at your career, what do you consider the key milestones in your leadership journeys, the, the moments the lessons that really shaped who you are as leader. Thank you. I'm always so excited to talk about this. I look back and sometimes I'm awed uh, to what I've been able to do, but I'm also um, not surprised. And I say that only because it's really important as you continue to go and do what you're going to do every single day that you're passionate about what you do, but you're also um, confident in how you're actually out there executing. So I grew up in a second class culture. So my, my culture is Albanian. I'm first generation here in the U.S. Say, I speak it fluently. I love the culture. I just didn't like the way women were treated in the culture. So I ended up learning a long time ago, um, really as a child, that I really wanted to do more and be so much more, uh, not only in the culture itself, but also uh, just in general in, in the world, really. And so I really ended up growing up in a way where I pushed every boundary. I broke almost every single rule. And when I set my mind to things, I was going to achieve those things. And so sometimes people would say, Drita, you've got like this brick wall in front of you, but you're still going to go through that brick wall. And I would, I would go through the brick wall because I think it's important to achieve the goals that I had set out there, but achieve it, of course, in a way where not only am I successful, but others are also successful in that uh, journey. And so I really learned to push back on a lot of norms. I was taught back then, if it's a norm and it doesn't sound right, you should push back and create new norms. And so we really pushed back on building new norms and what it means um, growing up, not only as a child in an Albanian culture, but also through my automotive journey. And so I tell people I was passionate about biology. I love biology. I have a biology degree. I have a biomedical engineering degree. But I loved auto. And so somehow I got a great opportunity in auto. I can tell people that it was this perfect example of anybody can enter and anybody has this great opportunity. 
in the end, it's true. A lot of people can enter and a lot of people have great opportunity in auto, but you've got to take the chance and you can't overthink it. And so even though um, I was given every opportunity, again, I so I have a biology degree. I was working in a lab doing genetics and I had an opportunity to do systems engineering at General Motors. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you how. I can tell you that somebody saw potential in me and they gave me an opportunity to see what auto was about. And so when I jumped in, I jumped in head first knowing that I really didn't know anything, but I was going to have a bunch of people teach me things and I was going to find the passion and the happiness in what I do. And so when I ended up um, working about a year at General Motors, I then went over into Ford Motor Company and got some really cool opportunities between export and supply chain, and then had an opportunity to really run program management. And program management was my passion. From day one, it was cross-functional leadership. It was really understanding people and really having to tie to their passion and what they want to do. And this was across a, a level of, of diversity that you can see didn't really exist. And so you had me as a, a woman program management leader, leading multiple different, um, really multiple men at that point. And we were all trying to go after actively actually launching multiple programs within the auto industry. When I was at uh, Ford, it was a great opportunity, met a lot of people. I went to Lear Corporation and really grew my career there. But in the end, there were a couple of key things that I learned at Lear that just really propelled me into where I want to go and what I actually want to do. And so um, a lot of great things that I were, was able to really do there is one is continue to really push for what I want to do. I was really vocal about my career goals. And I tell my boss um, back then, and, and she's still one of my very good friends, um, and I tell her all the time, like, I held you accountable. I told you what I wanted to do, and I needed you to go execute it. And she was held accountable to help me achieve my goals. And so mm -hmm. it was really critical from my growth and where we really needed to go to make it to where I am today. And so she was a critical part of my path and my growth. It's just was one of those things where I will always tell people I had a lot of challenges. It was never easy, but my will and my need and my goals weren't going to be shattered by anybody else except myself. Mm -hmm. And so in mm -hmm. the end, I pushed every boundary to achieve what I wanted to. And I can tell you, I'm happy with what I've done in my career, and I hope to continue to help others achieve exactly what I've done in my career as well. It seems like you had a lot of people when you've been in environments that were very supportive and at least helped you, supported you in, in um, achieving what you want to do. But also it seems that you didn't, as you mentioned, you, you didn't think twice. You, you knew exactly what you wanted and it was fairly easy for you. Not easy, maybe, you know, overcoming challenges, but easy from the perspective of you knew what you wanted and you knew that you had to maybe struggle or maybe not in other situations, but you had to try at least to get there. What got me curious is uh, you, you mentioned breaking few walls. Can you give me an example? What was the you know situation that you particularly remember where you had to come strong to it in order to make things happen for you? 
there's a couple of important things. One is automotive, like other industries, the challenge of really growing as a woman or, or diversity at all is a real big challenge. I never want to set the expectation that the good old boys network does not exist. It absolutely exists. And so every part of my career there was a lot of pushing back onto what that means, how deals are made, how promotions are given. And really, in the end, you know, sometimes people just like to talk to people that look like themselves and speak like themselves mm -hmm. and everything else. And so I learned in a couple situations where you just had to be you and you had to push what you were trying to do. And so there's a great example. I had the opportunity to actually go live in Munich, Germany for two years Great opportunity. My children were really young, uh, three and five. And my husband was actually a stay-at-home dad, which mm -hmm. is probably one of the other biggest norms that we broke in our entire um, culture and relationship and how we grew up. Because, you know, my dad was the, I'm going to go to work every day and uh, put the food on the table, et cetera. And my husband was, I'm going to take care of the babies while my wife goes to work every day and puts mm -hmm. food on the table. And so we broke all those norms. And then we went to Europe. And Europe um, was quite a challenge, actually, because it was a one, I was being put there to be able to drive um, a whole different way of how we're going to do business than when I was working at Lear. So we had a, we had a different way of how we're going to run the business, where our focus was, where we're going to grow. But I wasn't very well accepted. Mm -hmm. I would say that the challenge at that point was I was different. I was not one of the team at that point. I was coming in to make change when change was not wanted. And at that point, I'm in a camp. And, and when you get to a certain point within leadership, you become part of certain camps. And I wasn't in the right camp at that point. And so with a lot of my hesitation, you could probably look at me from the outside and you probably thought, she's so excited. She's going to go do this. Everything's great. And internally, I was crumbling like, oh, my gosh, like I'm going to go into a war zone and we're going to like fix what really it needs to be done to do the business. But it's going to be me pushing against every norm possible and then pushing against every opportunity or really every challenge. And so I think what really came out of it, again, there's a level of persistency. When you meet me, I'm quite aggressive. I'd say aggressive. Some people would say maybe a little more pushy. But in the end, I've got such a fixation to make sure that the business is sound, that the team is thriving, and everybody's pretty successful in what we're trying to do. And that drives me every day. It's more about how is the team performing? How do they feel? Do they have passion? Are they growing in the right direction? And are we doing what's right for the business? And not only for what's right for the business, but everybody that really impacts it. So one of the biggest challenges there was to bring that leadership team into the same realm that we were trying to execute as part of the business. It took me about six months to probably get everybody on the same path. And we built like key relationships across the organization. But I am known to be very hard headed sometimes. And I will push to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And that was probably one of the biggest examples and one of the growth, biggest growth opportunities I had as a person. I would hope that everybody else around me also grew as leaders because it was important to recognize that while I am different and I'm going to drive something very different than what they're used to, we all in the end somehow came together, sometimes by being really good together, sometimes by being really strong against each other. And it was important to understand 
when you needed to be strong and when you needed to push and when you needed to go along with the grain. And so a lot of it was, I would say, against the grain, but also with the grain. So great times I think about in my past, but a really challenging time in my career. This is a very, very interesting example. And, and transformation is always challenging, isn't it? And there are so many complexities that you have to deal with. So um, could you paint a little bit more detailed picture? I'm, I'm really curious as to, for example, you mentioned you were accepted. How did that represent itself? Did you have people in meetings openly disagreeing with you or they agreed but did something else? How did that represent? What were the specific challenges you had you faced and, and how did you overcome them? It's interesting because each person acts just a little bit differently depending on how they want to act. And that's the other thing I recognized pretty quickly is, you know, everybody has a different approach and you've got to understand that approach. So in some cases, I wasn't invited to meetings. In other cases, ignored completely when I was in meetings. And in other cases, people openly disagreed while in meetings. And so it was a little bit of each. And it was interesting to watch because, you know, I'd sit back for a minute and recognize, okay, one, if I'm not being invited to the meeting, I literally invited myself to meetings. I would just show up. And so it would be this awkwardness of what is she doing here? What happened? And I would go, okay, I'm here. Let's talk about it. Let's just keep going, right? And so push a little bit of it, but it pushes people out of their comfort zone because they don't expect that approach. When I actually was being ignored in meetings, it was interesting because I would tap my colleague to the right of me and go, okay, since they haven't heard me, can you please say exactly what I just said so they hear you? And I would say it loud enough in the meeting so people would go, okay, she's now recognizing that we're ignoring her and now we have to acknowledge this. And then the other piece of just purely disagreement in the end, um, we would end up agreeing to disagree. And sometimes it would be for, you know, you would hope most of the time it was professional. Other times it became a little personal, which is always interesting because mm -hmm. I do take um, every day as business as professional. It's never personal. I think people are people. They do the best mm -hmm. that they can. And I never take anything personal. So when it was mm -hmm. personal, it was a little bit of, okay, we're just not going to have a good relationship. So we need to continue to move on. And then we just need to make sure that it stays as professional as possible to make sure that nothing really impacts. So it is interesting, though, the more you learn about people, I love people. I, I'm passionate about people. I love understanding what makes them tick. And mm -hmm. so the more and more of really understanding how people approached these, it was easier to be able to uh, be a little bit more bold in how I was going to approach it. And so mm -hmm. sometimes it ended up to be pretty good. And again, a lot of those um, colleagues are my friends now. And so we did go through some tough things, but it took me to be quite bold and it took them to learn. And so mm -hmm. we, we've gone through it. But a lot of those colleagues today, I called today and we, we have, you know, we have fun and we have, you know, we chat about life and it's all good. So what a fantastic example. I imagine, uh, of course, those disagreements won't be solved in that one meeting, but at least you gave yourself seat at the table. I imagine once you showed up to one of those meetings, then you were invited the next time. That's right. And there's a couple times where it was, you know, it, it was persistent. They kept, mm -hmm. you know, doing it a couple times. But after mm -hmm. a while, once uh, they recognized uh, in the end, I wasn't going anywhere. It was better to continue to include me than me just randomly show up and cause cause some uh, mm -hmm. angst 
in, in the room, which I, I always say to people, like I, um, I love all the studies that talk about women and how they grow and where they go. It's kind of one of those things of, do you get a seat at the table? No, you dictate that you have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. You're already there, you're present and you make yourself present because there's a lot of things that you can add as value. And it's important to be able to push your way through some of that and not overthink it. Because if you overthink mm -hmm. too much, you end up actually pulling yourself back and you aren't mm -hmm. achieving what you said you're going to achieve. And so mm -hmm. you actually, in my experience, you garner more respect that way than you actually do waiting for somebody to hand you a seat at the table, per se. Last time we talked, you were telling me how passionate you are now about developing others as leaders. You've reached a certain position, you've you've learned many lessons, I presume. So I'm curious what your mentees and, and people you are developing, what typically do you have to help them with? What are the challenges they are facing? So it's interesting because the great thing about my roles is um, I've probably had a new role every two years or so. And within that, I've been able to meet so many new people within the organization, so many different people, what they're trying to do and how they're trying to achieve. And again, one of my passions is getting to know people so I can understand what they're passionate about. I tell people all the time, one, I learned a long time ago, I have to do what I'm passionate about. And number two, I have to create my own happiness because if other people, I'm waiting for other people to help me create happiness, this never happens. If I look at the statistics of what's happening, I mean, think about 41 CEOs are women today. That's such a, like, people will go, it's over 8%. It's such a great number. And women are making it, you know, to the top. In 1995, there were zero which is, is also crazy for me to say. So it's kind of one of these situations where my biggest passion is to learn about people, is to understand truly what to do to help them develop, but it's really to give them confidence. And a lot of the women leaders or other diverse candidates that we have, um, it's really about helping them not overthink it, about understanding mm -hmm. what their passion is, what their charter is, what goals they want to achieve and how they want to grow and successfully make it at the levels they want to make it. But also, in addition to that, grow others underneath them. And mm -hmm. I think the biggest challenge that we've always had is a lot of people will talk at the top. We've got DEI initiatives. We've got all these things we're doing. It's very vocal in, in what some companies are doing, and it's great to see. Um, but you also have to be able to talk the walk and walk the talk. And to me, middle management layer is really critical because where our challenge continues to be is attracting the talent, but keeping them. And promotions for women are a lot slower than promotions for men. And so how do we develop the great women talent? But how do we make sure that at the middle management, they continue to grow and they don't, they're not forgotten through all of these different initiatives that are out there? And so the big push of always looking at from top and what you can do is important. My leaders that report to me are really great, talented leaders. I always help with confidence levels and help them not overthink it and help them execute. But I'm also looking for them to do the same for their teams. And so it's the trickle down effect that's really important. And we talk a lot about leadership and who's in the organization and what are we doing to develop women. 
I do a lot of side mentoring too, uh, just of great women that just have really, really, really great talent. And, and it's more, again, just to help them know that they can achieve what they really want to achieve and that they shouldn't be held back in what they're trying to do. And so a lot of what I do today is exactly that, is just more really mentoring, but also pushing the initiatives through the organization, not only at my level, but all the way down to the middle management level, which is really critical in helping, uh, again, not only uh, attract the talent, but also help them grow and help them grow positively, just like any other employee would in this industry. Do you have maybe one or two specific uh, tips, maybe a technique or tool that you found particularly effective for you to either develop someone who reports directly to you or maybe help them to develop their teams? What advice would you give to people in a role similar to yours and and maybe roles below that are also developing uh, their teams? So I think there's a couple of things. One is with my role, uh, the great thing about, you know, my role is to be able to recognize what can be done and really the authority you have to make change. And so it's really important to to understand your initiatives, how you're driving those initiatives and what that means. And that could be a way to measure. So typically it's a way to measure. I will even be as bold as to tell you that I tell people that of all the people that we're going to interview for a certain role, I expect three, uh, like 30% or 40% diversity in those candidates. And so it's really critical to go and make sure we're, we're intentional about how we're recruiting. We're intentional about how we're actually developing uh, for different roles. And we're intentional even about lateral moves or moves into the organizations and what they mean. And so there's a couple of key initiatives. One is we're intentional about our hiring. And so we are very, very specific about what kind of talent and diverse talent and what that percentage is. But we're also intentional about, I'm gonna say a traditional career development plan. I laugh because I remember sitting with my boss one day and I said to her, I said, hey, I want to be the CEO. And she looked Mm -hmm. at me and she said, what are you talking about? And I said, I want to be the CEO and your job is to develop me to get me there. So Mm -hmm. what are we going to do next? And she just kind of laughed. And then she said, you know what? You're right. You're going to be the CEO. So let's talk about it. And she literally Mm -hmm. sat down and said, these are the things that we're going to go do to help develop you and get you the experience you need and to move you quickly through your career. And this is exactly one of the things that I ask my teams to do as well, is for those high potential diverse candidates, really all candidates within the organization, but the diverse candidates specifically, it's very intentional about their development and their growth. And Mm -hmm. it's measurement against that. And so it's always good you can say things, but are you actually executing to what you say? And these are the mm-hmm. things that I actually spend a lot of time doing with my team. In addition to really um, women leaders that report directly to me, it is the same exact conversation. These are the things we're going to do. This is the next step. This is how we're going to grow. And these are the key critical skills that you'll you'll obtain and continue to strengthen you as a leader. And so mm-hmm. those, those are the key um, initiatives that I use. I'm wondering, would you advise them to also hold their managers accountable for developing them? I think that's a very important lesson. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And that's the key is I think a lot of people, one, aren't vocal enough about what they want to do. Two, as I say, as a 
program manager in automotive to say I want to be the CEO of a tier one company at that point, like some people would go, you're not really ready for that, obviously, but you're also not probably going to stick around long enough. And I did. I stuck around long enough because it was me holding my leader accountable to get me to be developed. It's just as much as they're they're supposed to hold themselves accountable for that development. But every time I would see her, I'd go, okay, I did this. Let's keep going. What are we doing next? Mm -hmm. Like, what's mm -hmm. next? And it was mm -hmm. always she'd throw me in different opportunities because it was part of my career development and she was held accountable to do it. Fantastic example. So that makes me think um, what we've discussed so far. What would you say to people who, because it's easy, of course, to uh, give this advice to people who know already that there is need to develop stronger diversity, equity and inclusion. But there are others that would say, OK, women need to strive for more because there's this issue of confidence. Yes, there's a lot of statistics saying that women are less confident, less likely to ask for promotions, less likely to ask for pay rise, etc. So that's one side of this equation. But there's the other side of the equation that you mentioned earlier, uh, having the old boys clubs in you know certain industries. What would you say to people who don't believe that's the case? Because sometimes these are intangible things, you know, behaviors, single individual behaviors that are difficult maybe to call out. If everyone thinks the same thing and there's only one person that sees something wrong in certain behavior. I think it's interesting. It's critical. Uh, one, again, it goes back to some people will say the good old boys network. That's so old school and that does, that isn't alive. It is it is alive. It's well and alive. I think you have to recognize it. And people that recognize it are better leaders that way, even for the men that recognize mm -hmm. it exists. But they have to live in it to survive, mm -hmm. right? Which is an interesting concept, too, because a lot of people are like men don't suffer. Some men actually do suffer through some of these situations. I think the issue really goes back to making sure that each person, again, is intentional about how they do, but it's gaining, it's giving that, um, it's really pushing for that confidence. I think women also, um, you know, you have all these statistics and all these things that people talk about, but in the end, I think it's also like women somehow still need some level of validation and some level of confidence. I would say, forget all that. You don't need validation. You don't need confidence. You give all of that to yourself and you don't allow anybody else to take it away. And so when these um, good old boy networks exist, when the DEI initiatives aren't really paying out because some companies, again, like to speak this way, but they don't actually execute, it is up to one, the individual. So everything that I do, I push for what I'm going to do for myself. Because in the end, you have to take care of yourself. And it's really mm -hmm. important to take care of yourself. But it's also then attaching yourself to that certain percentage of leaders within the organization that know there needs to be change. And you can tell, and I tell people this all the time, like today, I work for another great woman leader. So I've been really fortunate. I've worked for women leaders a lot of my career, super strong people that have gone through a lot of challenges within the organization. I choose to work for her because I know she's paving, she's, she's paving a path for change. And I'm right alongside her paving that path. Mm -hmm. And it's important for people to recognize who in those organizations are making change and driving change and then work with those initiatives to push. And again, at the higher level is important, but also uh, at the middle ranks. And you're always going to run into challenge. Um, and the question is going to be is how much can you put up with before 
you stop working against the challenge. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, it's amazing, a lot of persistency in in what men do and like some of their leadership skills. It's very interesting. And women, uh, after a while, including myself, get tired of pushing against the norms and you got to keep pushing against the norms and having the consistency, but also the strength to keep doing it. Change is happening, but change is too slow. And it needs to be faster. And every day that we can make an impact is going to make it a better day for everybody else that comes behind us. It's the nature of these things that it, it is going to take time. Unfortunately, we can try to drive for a faster change. But I guess something interesting that you said earlier, what can be really, really helpful is to build these alliances with people who think like you, who you don't have to persuade and build you know, case studies for them. To right. take them on, on the board of, of your way of thinking. So there's an interesting study that talks about how actually networking, having wide networks within organization and outside of it can really help to advance one's career and achieve one's goals. So it's, so it's really important to seek out, identify people who can help to push your agenda. I think it's also important that the networking, people get to know who you are. I had an experience where after a while, you couldn't rec- I couldn't recognize who I was. I had changed so much to become part of what the organization was versus keep who I am and then make the change effectively for the organization to change in the way in my direction instead. So I think it's important that as you network, people really get to know who you are and what you are trying to achieve because as as more people get to know you, they know what you are made of and what you're mm-hmm. actually going to go do uh, versus, you know, sometimes networking, networking more becomes I, I do this and, and you know, and how, how, how did you grow and what happened? But you're not gaining really who the person is and what their initiatives are and what they actually want to do and grow. And so it's important to be you when you're networking mm-hmm. so people know what you're made of, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And then they easily position you in certain areas because they understand your initiatives and your drive and your passion. What has been the most interesting lesson for you as a leader? The one that really was pivotal and, and was this you know wow moment that uh, changed the way you lead? I think, again, uh, it goes back a little bit to I grew up in a second class culture. I work in a second class culture. I'm going to say this and some people will get maybe a little annoyed by it, but in the end it does, it exists. And every day we're fighting against the norm. I think the biggest thing for me was to really see other strong women leaders and to know that what I'm doing every single day does make an impact because they paved the road for me and for me to be able to see what they're doing, to be awed and inspired by every day, how they've approached things, what how the impacts they've made only gives me the chance to be able to do the same thing. And so I think this happened about 15 years ago and it was, it's been a drive since, and it's a really big passion of what are we doing? How are we doing it? What kind of impact is that? Which people are we impacting and how are they growing? And so that's really been the biggest pivotal change is just working for strong women and seeing what they do every single day and um, inspiring me to do what I do every single day. It's so important uh, to have the right role models, to, to seek out role models. And there's a huge need for that. You can see from all different networking groups, for example, you know, when women get together and just simply want to exchange ideas and and interact with someone who seems more like them. 
What about the automotive industry? So what is it like to be a leader in the automotive industry today? What was the biggest challenge that a leader is facing right now in your sector? I think the biggest challenge is really attracting that right diverse talent. Many, many women that come out of college, I mean, the, the degrees are I mean, a lot of a lot of degreed women are actually doing quite well uh, and they don't want to come into auto. Auto mm -hmm. isn't attractive. Um, I think there's a couple of things happening. Automotive is transforming. So the need for talent in the right areas is really, really important. Everything that's happening in electric vehicles and autonomy will drive for new levels of talent that we haven't had a chance to really attract. And so that is the biggest challenge is how do you bring that right talent into the organization, but also keep them and keep them promoting through the ranks appropriately to make the biggest impact. Um, it's funny when you look at like how many women actually have an impact on what vehicle you're going to buy. I mean, 85% of women have a say in what vehicle you're going to buy, but only 15% of women work in automotive. And so mm -hmm. we have a lot of work to do to be able to attract, not only really attract, but also really retain them and grow them through the automotive ranks because that percentage of women C-suite leaders in automotive is a really big challenge and one that we're missing out because we don't have that diverse thought and process to really make an impact on the end consumer, which the end consumer, majority of those choices or, or even influences come from women. There's enough of a reason, right, to, to aim for that wider diversity, that there's a strong business reason, if not just the pure social reason. What do you think, why there isn't enough women in, in those leadership positions? What, what, what could the industry do? Maybe, again, one or two tips that specifically worked for you that you saw effective. So I think, uh, again, it goes back to a little bit of promotion through the through the time frame that women are in automotive. And so promotions are uneven. If you're sometimes a name on a radar, you might get a promotion. If not, then you don't. And so how do you really intentionally develop women and promote them equally to their men colleagues? Because I know when you grow up, uh, you're sometimes going, well, why am I at this position? And, and you know, my, my colleague is in this position. What is he doing differently than I'm doing? And so this is where a lot of the, um, how do you intentionally really grow women to be able to keep them through and then help them through some of the challenges that do happen in automotive? Um, it is a bit cyclical. Um, we make really good uh, upward string uh, swing uh, swings, and then we kind of go um, back down a little bit. And so it's kind of, how do you make sure that women continue to grow intentionally through their whole career um, to really get to that C-suite level? Um, and to be able to, um, you know, really deal with all of the politics that sometimes exists in automotive, mm -hmm. which is really important. So if you've got the right leadership and you've got somebody intentionally growing you through the ranks, it's it's a lot better of a chance to keep women in automotive than it is to lose them. So there's this massive talent pool that isn't that is untapped and that can help organizations, automotive organizations to really evolve and grow. And it is important to make these efforts, these um, intentional DE efforts that look specifically at, at this specific group. That's right. That's exactly mm -hmm. right. And I think, again, there's so much excitement in automotive right now. Mm -hmm. This is why I still love what I do. I'm so mm -hmm. passionate about it. It's amazing mm -hmm. to see like 
I remember 10 years ago, it was like automotive's a dinosaur. We're churning out vehicles every 15 months. Uh, the diversity in what we're doing in vehicles is amazing. And the, the innovation and the transformation and being a part of that is so cool. Like one day, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hopefully at one point I'll be like, hey, that module that's in that car, the only reason it could park itself is because I put the innovation in there, which is really, really cool to claim. And so automotive is a whole different pool of technology right now that um, if women don't tap into, we're missing out. We're missing out on making a really big impact in, a, in an industry that's transforming every single day right now. It's an industry that affects so many parts of our lives, right? How cities are built, how we commute, how our times uh, are spent, how, how cars are being used. What What's the most exciting project you, you've been working or you are working on right now? A couple of things. One is I actually ended up launching the 2010 Volt. A lot of the mm -hmm. modules that went into the Volt, very first high voltage onboard chargers and, mm -hmm. and cord sets and other things like this. So this was 2010, super rough time for the automotive industry back then when a lot of banks and, and obviously housing was crashing and automotive industry was not doing well. We were pouring millions of dollars into electric vehicle innovations that you know, we actually launched and saw every day in the car. So that was one really exciting thing to do, especially in a time where electric vehicles still didn't really take hold. It was something that people talked about and we were gonna sell, you know, GM was gonna sell multiple, multiple vehicles and we were really excited to be part of it. Today, I'm a part of every battery innovation that's out there. I'm a part of all the autonomy and ADAS innovations that are there. And while we're doing it from a different perspective, from the testing and the software and the data perspective, it's really critical on how we're actually understanding the technology and bringing it to market faster with our customers hand in hand. And so we've got some great partnerships and we're doing some awesome things when it comes to ADAS and you know, actually doing replay and hill and like really impacting what happens on in the vehicles every single day. So mm -hmm. it's just such a great time. So really, really hitting on a lot of the new innovations that are out there and being a part of it with our customers is so exciting to me. If that's not a good reason to join Automotive Sector, then, then what is? <laughs> exactly. If you can't make that impact, I don't know where else you can actually make that impact. Today, automotive, you can make some really cool impacts. Final question. If you went back, what is to, to the beginning of your career? You just left university. One advice you would give to your younger self? I think there's a couple things. One is don't overthink anything. Have the confidence that you can do anything. And mm -hmm. so I think it's a little bit of um, don't negotiate against yourself because uh, typically what you do is you end up negotiating against yourself and you, you don't take the role or you mm -hmm. hesitate to take the role mm -hmm. or you hesitate to ask. Um, I always tell people, worst thing is they can say no to you. So mm -hmm. always ask, like, mm -hmm. you know, there's, it's, there's never a dumb question and always have the confidence to be able to go do what you do. You might be tearing up inside, freaking out outside, but in mm -hmm. the end, these are why you have great friends. And these are why you have a partner or whatever to be able to chat through these things, but never, never let them see you crack. You've, you've got this. And so that's what I would tell myself is you keep going because you're going to do some amazing things and don't let anybody stand in your way.
That's a fantastic advice. Thank you very much. It's It's been a pleasure. It's uh, such a wonderful work that you have done. And I imagine we could explore so many interesting stories. So thank you very much for joining me in uh, Ways Women Lead. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. Check out our website on www.6-group.com if you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.